Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, warmer days remind us of fond summer memories. Now, you can make those moments year-round with a Michael Phelps swim spa by our friends at Master Spas, and that combines the leisure of a hot tub with the exercise benefits of a pool. Now, Master Spas technology is incredible with LED lighting, beautiful waterfalls, and those super powerful water jets installed in just one day. You're going to love it. Proudly made in America. Use the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner. That's masterspas.com for up to $1,000 off. You can exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand I trust, masterspas.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, this portion of the Sean Hannity Podcast is sponsored by Audible. Now, by signing up for a 30-day trial with Audible, you'll be able to get that audiobook you've always wanted to read for free. Now, discover where Audible audiobooks can take you. To get started, just go to audible.com slash Hannity. That's audible.com slash Hannity. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Rose Tennant. I'm the host of Rose Unplugged. You've heard me here before. You can find me on Twitter at Rose underscore Unplugged and Facebook is Rose Unplugged. Usually when I do sit in for Sean Hannity, I do so from the Pittsburgh studios. Linda has been saying, come on to New York. I don't know what took me so long. I love it here and I love being here with you, Linda. I really do. God, you're gorgeous. I think Okay, and Ethan, and of course, Lauren, you know I was going to get there. Come on, you guys. This is the cutest group of people, honestly, in one room. One room, three really good-looking people, and they're super, super great to work with. So it's awesome to be here in New York City with all of them. Thanks to Sean Hannity for allowing me to sit in today. We have a jam-packed show today. We have to. Because there's so much going on. Uh, At the half hour, Jim Jordan is joining us, and I'm so happy about that. He did an excellent job today, and as did others, as did others. You know, it's already being referred to as the Hillary defense, and no doubt defense lawyers all over will be invoking it for people of lesser stature um, when they find themselves in trouble. And they want the same consideration that Hillary has received. So, yes, it's being called the Hillary defense. Today, FBI Director James Comey defended his decision not to recommend criminal charges against Hillary Clinton. And he was grilled today. 
And it was his first public appearance since announcing on Tuesday his recommendation. And, uh, and it was exactly as you would have expected it to be. The Democrats suddenly loved James Comey and he, they were just all over him. And the Republicans were very firm and they had excellent questions. You know, one of the things, you know, we talk about Hillary being a liar. Donald Trump talks all the time about Hillary being a liar. And today... There, I don't know how much proof you need. It came out perfectly clear today how much of a liar Hillary Clinton really is. Take a listen to Trey Gowdy as he fact checks Comey. Good morning, Director Comey. Uh, Secretary Clinton said she never sent or received any classified information over her private email. Was that true? Our investigation found that there was classified information sent. So it was not true. Right. That's what I said. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking for a little shorter answer so you and I are not here quite as long. Secretary Clinton said there was nothing marked classified on her emails, either sent or received. Was that true? That's not true. There were a small number of portion markings on, I think, three of the documents. Secretary Clinton said, I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. There is no classified material. Was that true? There was classified material emailed. Secretary Clinton said she used just one device. Was that true? She used multiple devices during the four years Uh, of her term as Secretary of State. Secretary Clinton said all work-related emails were returned to the State Department. Was that true? No, we found work-related emails, thousands, that were not returned. Secretary Clinton said neither she nor anyone else deleted work-related emails from her personal account. Was that true? That's a harder one to answer. Uh, We found traces of work-related emails. Uh, in on devices or in Slack space, whether they were deleted or whether when a server was changed out, something happened to them. There's no doubt that there were work-related emails that were removed electronically from the, the email system. Secretary Clinton said her lawyers read every one of the emails and were overly inclusive. Did her lawyers read the email content individually? No. Oh, my God. Really? Not true, not true, not true, not true. Can I say... Can we just say lies, 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 and more lies? That's what it was. That's what it is. You know, look, I I know a lot of you people out there feel defeated. I feel so defeated. When Comey came out on Tuesday, I was kind of expecting like a punch in the gut. And you know how you kind of prepare your stomach for that? I was not prepared at all for the kind of punch in the gut that I got on Tuesday. And I know that you feel the same way, but you've got to remember this. We are not defeated. We still have November around the corner and we can do this. We have a battle that needs to be fought and needs to be won. The only way that we can win this battle, the only way we can make sure that someone like this, this lawless, lying criminal does not get into the White House is to be sure that we get out there and vote, not just vote, but do everything that you can leading up to Election Day, whether it's convincing people that they need to go out and vote. And I'm going to tell you something. I still get emails. I still get posts on my Facebook that tell me that they are not voting in November because they can't bring themselves to vote for someone like Donald Trump. So can you bring yourself to live with Hillary Clinton in the White House? I had a woman tell me once that she didn't know how she would explain to her children and her grandchildren why she voted for Donald Trump. My question to her now is, how do you explain to her about allowing Hillary Clinton into the White House by not voting for Donald Trump? Because that is essentially and exactly what she will be doing. You have got to get out there and take care of this. And you've got to give this new consideration. You really do. Lawlessness, no respect for the rule of law. 
But this is nothing new with the Clintons. This shouldn't surprise anyone. It's just that it's never been clearer in my mind. And I've been covering them for 20 some years. You know, we just recently celebrated 240 years of independence, freedom from tyrannical rule. And we're allowing ourselves to move towards that again after 240 years of life without it. You know, and I've talked about this on the program before, but since we are in the week of, you know, the 4th of July week, I want to repeat something that I think is important. When those men were deliberating over signing the, the, the Declaration of Independence, they did so with trepidation. They were afraid. They were, they, they, they all agreed that this was something that needed to be done and something that needed to be signed, but they were concerned. They knew that it might put a price on their head. They knew that. So they didn't know if this was actually the time to do it. And then Witherspoon got up and he made that great speech about there is a tide in the affairs of men. Do we perceive it not, you know, to hesitate is to commit ourselves to slavery once again. They, historians tell us that after he made that speech, everyone had agreed, let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's get it done. Okay. Yeah. We may be putting a price on our head, but the future of this country depends on what we do today, right now. And historians tell us that some of those men, after they signed the Declaration of Independence, fell on their knees and prayed and others wept. And I would suggest to you that they wept because they knew that they were once slaves to tyranny, to oppressive government, and they were now free. And my question to you right now is, if they could see us now, if they could see where we were headed, and if they could see you out there who says that you're not going to vote in November because you just can't explain that to your children, if they could see where we are right now, would they not cry again? Would they not be weeping because we were once free and now are becoming slaves again to big government? And that concerns me. It really, really does. You know, people make fun of Donald Trump saying, let's make America great again. But you know what? especially during this time of year, as we celebrate our independence, 240 years of it, you know what? Let's make America great again by remembering who made us great in the first place. Men and women with a vision, a vision for freedom and for liberty, a vision for a safe haven. Those men and women knew that while they were making America great, they would never reap the benefits of what they were doing. They knew it was for future generations, for people they would never, ever meet, but they did it. They did it with courage and they did it with commitment. And so now we all must make America great again in the same spirit of our founding fathers. And we do that with leadership that's not afraid to take unpopular stands. The founding fathers weren't taking popular stands. Donald Trump certainly doesn't take popular stands. But they did and they persevered and they are responsible for making this country great. So those of you who are still on the fence or thinking you might stay home on Election Day, I beg you to consider this. I know that Donald Trump doesn't see the world through the same political eyes that you and I do. He doesn't view it as a conservative or a liberal issue when he looks at issues. He's not an ideologue. He's not a political person. He just doesn't see the world that way. I think I think what he does, I think, and many of us get that, when we look at him, we don't see a liberal or conservative either. We see something that we haven't seen in a long seven and a half years, a man that simply loves this country, who believes in this country. He believes in the greatness of this country, and he makes no apologies for that. If he wins, there's not going to be an apology tour. 
once he's elected. What we need to do with the same determination that we have seen from our forefathers, with that same commitment to country, we need to get behind Mr. Trump. Because I believe that he truly believes that he can make America great again. And there should be no doubt in your mind that Hillary cannot do the same. You know when a book just really hooks you and you just can't put it down? Well, with Audible, well, you don't have to. Discover where Audible audiobooks can take you. Now, maybe it's a book you've been wanting to read for a long time. Now, Audible has something special for everyone. So download your books or shows on your mobile device and listen anytime, anywhere. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, Audible is your best source for everyday entertainment. The Audible app makes listening a breeze with features like chapter navigation and narration speed control. So access your books, your shows, anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone or your tablet. Join Audible today and explore the world's leading provider of audiobooks, all beautifully performed by talented actors and narrators. Now you can start a 30-day trial and download your first audiobook for free. Just go to audible.com slash Hannity to get started. That's audible.com slash Hannity for a 30-day trial and audiobook. Remember what she did, right? She sets up this unique server arrangement. She alone controls it. On that server, on that email system are her personal emails, her work-related emails, Clinton Foundation information, and now we know classified information. This gets discovered. We find out this arrangement exists. Then what happens? Her lawyers, her legal team decides which ones we get and which ones they get to keep. They made the sort on the front end. And then we find out the ones that they kept and didn't give to us, didn't give to the American people, didn't give to Congress. The ones they kept, they destroyed them. And you don't have to take my word. I'll take what you said on Tuesday. They deleted all emails that they did not return to the State Department. And the lawyers cleaned their devices in such a way as to preclude complete forensic recovery. Now, that sounds like a fancy way of saying they hid the evidence. Right. And you just told Mr. Gowdy. Thousands of emails fell into those categories. Now, that seems to me to provide some context to what took place here. Did Secretary Clinton know her legal team deleted those emails that they kept from us? I don't believe so. Did Secretary Clinton approve those emails being deleted? I don't think there was any specific instruction or conversation between the secretary and her lawyers about that. Did you ask that question? Yes. Did Secretary Clinton know that her lawyers cleaned devices in such a way as to preclude complete forensic recovery? I don't believe that she did. Did you ask that question? Yes. Do you see how someone could view the context of what she did? Set up a private system. She alone controlled it. She kept everything on it. We now know from Ms. Abedin's deposition that they, they did it for that very reason so no one could see what was there. Based on the deposition, Ms. Abedin gave. And then when they got caught, they deleted what they had and they scrubbed their devices. Is that part of the context in evaluating this decision? Sure. Sure. And understand what inferences can be drawn from that collection of facts, of course. And that was Representative Jim Jordan as he was questioning FBI Director Comey today. And he's joining us this afternoon. Thank you for taking time out to be with us today. I appreciate that. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite quite the arrangement. You know, you get to you get to decide on the front end. You're going to do something that he said is unauthorized, setting up this 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 email, unique email and server situation. Uh, you're going to put everything on there so that that it's it's not uh, the public can't get to it. It's based on what Miss Abedin testified to in her deposition. Right. And then um, then you get caught, and then it's discovered. And then your lawyers get to make the sort. So remember what they did. They stored it, they sorted it, and then they wiped everything clean. Yes. Right? They sorted it on the front end. Uh, here are the 60,000 emails in this universe that she had on the computer dealing with all kinds of issues, and we now know classified issues. They got to decide which ones we got, which one they kept, and then the ones they kept, they destroyed. And just to make sure it was gone, they wiped the, 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 the electronic devices they clean the devices, and I, I love that language, in such a way to preclude forensic recovery. Again, yes. A, a long, lawyerly way of saying uh, they hid the evidence. Yes, exactly. I, I was thinking that, too, when I heard that. You can understand, for those of us that are looking at this from the outside, the frustration, the level of frustration that we feel, the um, anxiety over this, because we're listening to this today, you know, hearing him say things like that to you, and then talking about her not having, that she wasn't sophisticated enough to understand, perhaps, what the C letter stood for. What were you feeling there? I mean, you have to feel that same frustration that... It's yeah, a, of course. No, great point, and it, it's why uh, Pat Cadell says in his surveys, eighty percent of the uh, of the American people feel like Washington's rigged against them. Right. That it doesn't exist to serve them, and they saw that on display Tuesday with with the Director Comey's um, uh, uh, press statement and what he said in his decision not to take this to a grand jury. And they saw that again yesterday. They've seen it with John Koskin at the IRS. They've seen it with Lois Lerner at the IRS. And that's what frustrates me. So this, this is, there's now two standards in this great country, the greatest country ever. There's one standard for we the people and an mm-hmm. entirely different standard for the politically connected. That is what drives Americans crazy, and appropriately so. And now it looks like also, this is probably the key takeaway from the hearing, that what she told us in questioning last October in front of the Select Committee on Benghazi has shown to be false based on Director Comey's investigation. Now, yes. he didn't look at those statements she made under oath, under oath to our committee, specific statements. It looks like four or five things that she said which were absolutely wrong, absolutely false, uh, based on what uh, uh, Director Comey's uh, investigation uncovered. Well, where do we go from here? Where do you go from here? Anywhere at all? I, th- I think right there. Okay, right that's there. what I was hoping so you were not, saying. Okay, He did not look at that. Uh, you know, she said that uh, every one of her emails was examined individually by her legal team. Mr. Comey said on Tuesday, not every one of her emails was examined by her legal team. She said she sent nothing marked or, or, or sent or received nothing marked classified. Mr. Comey said Tuesday and, uh, and uh, confirmed today that there were some emails yes. that were had markings that bore classified markings. She said she had one server. Mr. Comey said Tuesday that there were multiple servers. She said that she, she returned all work-related emails. Uh, Mr. Comey's investigation d- discovered that she did not return all work-related emails. So there are four false statements she made under oath, not just at some precedent, under oath to a congressional committee in a, in a uh, investigation approved by the House of Representatives to look at the deaths of four Americans in the Benghazi situation. So I think that's where this moves, uh, moves next. Okay, and so uh, for the rest of us, when we look at Comey, and, and often, really, we've always had a, a good, tremendous amount of respect for him in the past. We all walked away from this just scratching our heads. We can't make sense of it. We really can't. Yeah. I mean, they're already calling this, you know, they're referring to this as the Hillary defense, and, and defense lawyers now in the future will be using this, you know, for, yeah. for those of us who don't who don't share her stature, you know, uh, and, and, and using that as a consideration. But why? I mean, can you, can you give us anything, anything to chew on out here? Because we are dumbfounded by this. We really well, are. 
Yeah, one of the things I raised, and of course he, he said this was not the case, but I think, I think an average American looks at this and we, we, we wonder. He talked about the context of the person's action for his decision that, to say he wasn't going to take this to a grand jury. Now, never mind the fact that there are lots of prosecutors who said they look at this fact pattern, they look at this evidence, and they said, yeah, I would take that to, to a grand jury. I think there's probable cause to take that to a grand jury. He said he wouldn't. He said one of the factors that helped him in making that determination was the context of the person's action. Right. But he used the word context, and that's typically not something you hear on the front end from a prosecutor. You hear it on the, at the tail end of a case from a defense lawyer when they're talking about the sentencing phase after someone's already been found guilty. And I think some Americans are wondering, does context mean the context of the, 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 the idea that, you know, this was the former First Lady, the former Secretary of State, former Senator, major party's nominee for President? Does context include the fact that her husband, pretty important American, yes. uh, actually just met with the guy that Mr. Comey works for, the Attorney General Lynch, uh, uh, just a few days ago on a, on a tarmac in Arizona? I mean, did that gives some context to it, too, and you have to wonder... And, and I think he would, I think even Director Comey would admit people have to wonder about all that and how that all took place and how it all happened. So, um, again, we'll see as we move forward. I do think, though, this idea that she made false statements under oath, um, it looks to me like four at least um, from, from back in the hearing in October. I think that's something we've got to look at. So when you say we have to look at it, what, what will that entail? Can you tell us? What does that mean? Well, I mean, what, can there be... it, 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 may, it may mean the Justice Department has to take a look at it. All right. It, it and, may mean that. that that's, and frankly, I don't know why they didn't look at that. Uh, Chairman Chaffetz asked those questions today. Right. Did you look at the fact she, she gave false statements, it look, what appears to be false statements under oath? Um, I, don't, I, don't think you, I don't think you have to use the word appear. I think she just did give, give false statements under oath. Did you look at that? And he said he did it. I don't know why you wouldn't examine. I don't think there's anything that would preclude you from examining the person you're investigating relative to the email situation and classified information and statements she made to a congressional committee on that very topic about her email and, and server arrangement, because that's exactly what I was asking her about when she made the statement that we now know are false. Do you buy that she was just not sophisticated enough for all this? No, yeah. I, thought, I, thought, I thought Mr. Meadows' testimony, or, or excuse me, questioning was, was very good. Yes. Not sophisticated. This, this family has been in the American yes. public life and in the political um, uh, world for a long time, probably than just about any other family in, 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 in currently involved in, in uh, American politics and, and in our government. So uh, that's a little, little tough to, uh, to, to, to figure that that's, uh, that's actually the case. I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. You know, one thing I have to say to you is that how much we appreciate that we can count on you to get to the bottom of things and to really um, be looking out for the American people. And we get that sense from you, uh, Representative Jordan. We truly well, do out it. here. And, well, and, and we, we appreciate you for doing for being that person. And I just, you know, I just, when we go forward and we have to from this, I, I think the, the American people just, I mean, they're seeing that, you know, that this is a double standard. And you were alluding to this earlier when we were talking about considering the context of the person uh, actions. And, and, and we see that. And I, and I think that uh, that discourages many, many Americans. And I hope they remember that when they either go to vote this November or decide to stay home because they don't like Donald Trump. Yeah, well, uh, look, I mean, you're, you're right. Ultimately, we the people decide how things get handled on Election Day. But, um, again, it, it, is, it is troublesome to see this fact pattern and the fact that, you know, the director even said, this is not to assume that this wouldn't mean repercussions and consequences for people who do the, do, do the same sort of thing in the future, which just sort of seems like, well, that seems strange. Because yes. you go through this, all that she did, it's almost like 
conscious of guilt. There's this, this concept in the law that there's conscious of guilt when you take actions that demonstrate that, like deleting all the emails that you didn't turn over to the government and then scrubbing your devices so that no complete forensic recovery could take place. Well, that sure sounds like you're hiding something. And it, I think it's logical for a, um, a juror or anyone to, to kind of, the, the inference drawn from that is, look, people don't do that if they didn't do anything wrong, if they're not trying to hide something. And if that doesn't go towards this idea that Mr. Comey talked a lot about today, that there has to be intent, they had to be thinking of doing this, the whole fact that they set this arrangement up, they had a conversation where Ms. Abedin testified at her deposition that it was designed so that none of her personal information would ever get public. Is that, was that trying to, so, so she could avoid any type of request that came in, in a FOIA or request that maybe came from Congress? I mean, sure looks that way. Sure you know, and, and that's why we all say when he, you know, and he didn't have to address us. He didn't have to go into detail, you know, in terms of what they found, but he did, which is yeah. unusual, quite frankly, in a situation like this. Yeah. Then then yeah. He, he gives us that punch to the gut and, and we're all, we're scratching our heads out here. Why? I mean, yeah. I just, we can't find a reasonable explanation here as to why he would not recommend criminal charges be filed against Hillary Clinton. None of us, we yeah. can't. Can you? Well, I mean, look, like I said, lots of prosecutors have been on uh, been on shows just like this, uh, radio shows and, and, and TV shows this week, saying they would have they would have taken it to a grand jury. Uh, and, and like many have said, you don't get intent doesn't get spelled out. You never typically get an email or a letter or or some statement where I'm going to go do something bad today. It just doesn't work that way. You have to show through the action that they they took. It shows they intended to do this. And again. When you have people covering up things, deleting emails that they decided on, I always, I always, her legal team, Cheryl Mills, uh, uh, Heather Samerson, David, that legal team, Cheryl Mills actually was her also her chief of staff. They decided, yes, okay, these are the ones we're going to give to the government, give back to the to congressional committees and the State Department, and these are the ones that we're going to keep. And Mr. Comey's already said some of what they kept was work-related, so they didn't turn it over, and then they deleted those, and then they erased their devices as well. That sure, I think a logical person would say, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not the kind of activity that people who have nothing to hide engage in. That's typically what people who are trying to uh, not have evidence come forward that's the kind of activity they engage in. You would think. You would think. Exactly. Exactly. Well, again, I have to say thank you for um, thank you for all that you do. I really appreciate you, and I thank know that the Lord. audience do does as well. Keep up the good work. Thanks for joining right. us this afternoon on short notice. We appreciate it. Good job Take today. Care. Thanks. That was Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio, uh, member of the Benghazi Select Committee and the Freedom Caucus, and uh, he was questioning FBI Director Comey today and wanted to know why it was okay for Clinton to destroy evidence and walk away from the destruction of that evidence. I mean, clearly, I mean, this is so frustrating, isn't it? Just watching these the situation unfold and, and, and learning more and more about what she did and then hearing today that she lied. It was one lie after another after another. And it's just... For the rest of us, as we watch on the outside, we can only imagine the frustration that those on the inside are feeling, the Jim Jordans and the others that were part of this um, subcommittee this afternoon. And, and they did a great job. I really do. I think that they were very, you know, when I think about Trey Gotti, too, he was so to the point. And uh, I really appreciate him. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. My name is Rose Tennant. I'm sitting in for him today and happy to do so. Linda, when I, when I was here a couple weeks ago, you said I was one of his 
I don't want to say oldest in that regard, okay? But we have. I did not say that. I know you didn't say it, but I was thinking that about me. We, he and I have known each other. I think I'm one of the first people that he got to know in radio. And I didn't realize it until you brought that up a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, he considers you a dear friend and has always said that you're a great, great patriot, great friend, and kind of one of those rare, loyal brands. Oh, thanks. I, I feel the same about him and you and all of you, too. Thanks, Ethan and Lauren, for helping me out today. I appreciate it. So anyway, uh, I'm a host of my own show, Rose Unplugged. And we bring that show, uh, deliver that show to you from Pittsburgh. You can connect with me on social media. It's at Rose underscore Unplugged on Twitter. Facebook is Rose Unplugged. And the website is RoseUnplugged.com. Now, I've been doing a show from Pittsburgh for almost, well, a little over 20 years. And someone that I had on the program with me that long ago is joining me again today. Um, I considered him a good friend. We spent a lot of time together uh, during the time of the TWA 800 crash. He is the author of TWA 800, The Crash, The Cover-Up, and The Conspiracy. Welcome to the program, Jack Cashel. Good afternoon, Jack. How are you? Hey, Rose. I'm great. And it's, uh, you know, you were in preschool when we first uh, came on that show 20 years ago. That's right. I'm glad you remembered. Yes, I could barely (laughs) do the show, right? (laughs) Barely uh, get your uh, up to the mic, you know, (laughs) stand on a little box. Yeah, that's it. Listen, you know, um, the uh, UK Daily Mail and the New York Post both did prominent articles on TWA 800 this week. And we're moving towards the 20th anniversary of the crash. That's on July 17th. So, as I said, it, for 20 years, we've talked about this. The, that flight off the coast of Long Island has been mired in controversy. Is there anything we know now, Jack, that we didn't know then? Yeah, and thanks to the... Uh work of researchers like uh, Tom Stalkup and John Clark, uh, we now have access to this mother load of CIA documents that shows in exquisite detail how they corrupted the investigation starting from day one. Uh, You know, we know about the wall. The FBI and the CIA were not supposed to be cooperating on issues of national security, but for 16 months they worked hand in glove to uh, sabotage the investigation. Yeah, they really did. And, you know, and there, one of the things that always struck many of us uh, was the fact that there were so many witnesses to what happened. They were giving eyewitness accounts, and somehow we didn't, they, we never heard really much more about it after the no, first you know, couple and, of days. Have you and, talked and to what, those people again? Yeah, the, uh, there were 258 people, according to the FBI, who saw an object ascending and, uh, approaching TWA Flight 800 and blowing up. From the CIA documents, though, now, no, we know that uh, two weeks after the crash, the CIA met with the FBI missile team. The FBI told the CIA they had interviewed 144 excellent, their word, eyewitnesses, wow. and the evidence was overwhelming that uh, a surface-to-air missile had taken a plane out of the sky. The CIA discouraged the FBI from going forward, and they succeeded because they didn't go forward. You know, it's a lot of us, when we hear about this, and there are people who still remember, in fact, I want to talk to Linda a little bit later, because um, she has experienced this firsthand, you know, the devastation that that crash brought people in her own family. You know, what, what can we, what are we finding out now? What is there some way to hold the government's feet to the fire where TWA 800 is concerned? 
I mean, I think at this point, Rose, we need someone at the high level to come forward and to tell the truth. Um, and what we know, though, is that they violated the wall. Even if we had no other evidence, the wall that kept FBI and CIA from collaborating to prevent September 11th did not stop them from collaborating on TDP 800. We know this up, down, and sideways. We also know that the woman who wrote the wall memo, Jamie Gorelick, was overseeing the TWA the under investigation. Um, and, and they were not allowed to share information, according to the wall memo. Am I right? right. According to George Tennant, according to John Ashcroft, they both said this at the 9-11 Commission. It just so happened that Jamie Gorelick was also sitting on that 9-11 Commission, and it took John Ashcroft to point that out. Um, and that was in 2004. This story is the greatest untold story of our time. It's a scandal that will dwarf Watergate if the truth be known. You know, Linda here likes to refer to this as uh, Hillary, the Clinton's uh, Benghazi dry run. There are parallels, aren't there, to Benghazi? Did we lose him? I think we did. Must be the NSA. Let me give him a call. Oh, that is a little strange, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this here and there does seem to be many, many parallels to Benghazi. And and, and as Linda said, she she considers it um, the Clinton's Benghazi dry run. And, And there can't be a case made for that, most certainly. And the thing I appreciate about Jack is that he has not let up on this. I mean, he has for almost 20 years. I mean, July 17th is going to be 20 years and he hasn't stopped, and he's been just so diligent, and he's followed through. Uh, Jack, you're back with us again? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I was asking you when we lost you um, is that, do you agree, Linda and I were talking before the program today, she feels that this is really, you know, like a Clinton-Benghazi dry run. I mean, aren't there parallels here that can be found or made? Yeah, there sure are. In fact, uh, I was on CNN three years ago when they uh, were talking about this Excellent documentary produced by Tom Stalkup and Christina Borgeson. I was on one of their morning shows, and, and they asked me why a cover-up. And I said, you know, just spontaneously, I said it was Bill Clinton's Benghazi moment. Mm-hmm. You know, he had an election just about locked up. Then he has a national security disaster take place on his watch, and he just tries to kick the can down the road past November. Uh, and what happens the next day is I check the transcript from CNN, and they cut out my answer. Uh, Yes, Rose, you know the media well enough to know, but they're worse now than they've ever been before. They do not want to know. They don't. No, they don't. You're right. um, Confuse them about advancing uh, the Democratic agenda in an election year. And this year, the parallels are are even stronger. Right. You know, in terms of uh, the ability of the the media and the authorities to uh, suppress information and to make, you know, the appearances of uh, virtue more important than the reality. Jack, could you please, for our audience that ha- that hasn't been around or been listening to talk radio for 20 years, could you just, in a nutshell, tell them what happened, explain a little bit about what the wall, when we refer to the wall, what that really means, and then what you hope to see in the days to come, especially as we close in on that 20th anniversary? Yeah, you know, that would be, uh, in my book, uh, uh, TW800, I talk about this at some length. And, and for instance, when John Ashcroft testifies before the 9-11 Commission in 2004, he's the Attorney General, 
they ask him, uh, what was the, the single greatest impediment to our ability to stop terrorism? And he said, you know, clearly, the greatest impediment was the wall. Mm. The wall was a memorandum issued in 1995, and it said that the intelligence gatherers could not communicate with the prosecutors and the investigators. So the criminal investigators and FBI were not allowed to speak with the intelligence gatherers and the CIA. But we now know that from the day one, the CIA was involved in the investigation of TW-800. And what they were doing, this is how bad it got. And when the eyewitness testimony did not match the scenario that they wanted, that is of a spontaneous fuel tank explosion, they started manufacturing new eyewitness testimony. They made up interviews for people who had never been spoken to, at least on the second occasion, and inserted them into their files. At least three critical eyewitnesses, and I can prove this easily. Uh, I've talked to all the people involved. They manufactured eyewitness summaries, placed them in their file, and said, see, uh, after all, all these eyewitnesses comport to exactly what we say happened. It was a fuel tank explosion. Mm. It was not a missile strike. Those, uh, what they saw, what they thought they saw, those squiggly you know, smoke trails with red tips arcing over, disappearing, blowing up the plane, they were just confused. Uh, when we went back, we found out, oh, that they were drunk or that they hadn't said what they thought they saw or they, they meant left to right, not right to left. It's that blatant. Mm-hmm. And for any person in the media listening, be happy to correspond with you, happy to share my information with you, happy to advance this another step. We need the key people uh, spoken to. We need a justice address. Jack, you've been addressing this for 20 years just about why. Why is this so important to you? You, you uh, won't let this go. Yeah, it's the great untold story of our time. If we can't tell the truth about an event in which 230 people were killed right. before thousands of eyewitnesses along the south coast of Long Island, 750 of whom spoke formally with the FBI, if we cannot get the truth out about something like that, it turns us all into cynics. You know, I'm a member of the honorary member of the TWA Museum. There's no one in TWA who disagrees with me. Uh, the people in Boeing know I'm telling the truth. The people in uh, the FAA know I'm telling the truth. There's a level of cynicism now in the aviation community that's unparalleled in American history. They don't believe their government anymore, and the events of the last few days have given them nothing uh, to confirm. Uh, but but to confirm their suspicion. Exactly, exactly. It's so sad. So many of us feel so defeated and uh, just so disappointed. Well, I have to tell you, Jack, I really appreciate you, and, and I appreciate that you have not let this go. And, I, you know, knowing you for 20 years, um, you, you have not wavered. You are the same Jack that you were 20 years ago, if not more determined to get the truth out. And I appreciate everything that you have done. The book is TWA 800, The Crash, The Cover, up and the conspiracy. We've been talking to Jack Cascio. I would advise you to get it because he's right. It is the greatest untold story in our American history. It truly, truly is. And you're the only one telling the story. I mean, now there are others that have joined you. And uh, I've been reading a lot more about it than I have in the last 20 years, Jack. And that's thanks to you, really, and your diligence. The real scandal here, though, Rose, uh, you know, we expect governments to uh, go awry. They do. But the media have betrayed their profession. Amen. The major media have betrayed their craft. They have indeed. Uh, They do not want to know. 
Hey, Jack, I was saying the other day when the uh, Republicans released their Benghazi report, no one talked about it. No one in the media talked about it. And I remember, uh, was it Jim Jordan, I think, or someone, I can't remember now, Sessions, perhaps, who kept saying, Please just read this. Just read it. Because we, no, the, the media wasn't reading it. We weren't reading it. And there was so much information in there. When I started to read it, I, I was, I mean, I was choked up. I couldn't believe what happened to our citizens. I couldn't believe the lies and the, uh, it just, it's overwhelming. But the media, and I would, I say to this day, if the media were honest about what was happening, if the media would at least report what was happening, Donald Trump would be way further ahead in the polls. It, he, yeah. it wouldn't be as close a race as it is, because no, I, if the truth Hillary were out Clinton, there about the Clintons. She wouldn't be the nominee if they were reporting the truth. I would say this, though, in the last couple of weeks, Rose, uh, you know, I've been doing some uh, shows before my book came out, which came out just two days ago. Um, Congratulations. I've been hearing from a whistleblower a day, and I would encourage anyone in your audience who knows something firsthand to contact me. at Just go to my website, cashel.com. C-A-S-H-I-L-L dot com. And uh, I'll keep your confidences, you know, to the degree you want them kept. I had a, a fellow just two days ago come forward, uh, rather last week, uh, air traffic controller. He was there that night watching the screen. Oh, no kidding. We, knew, we all knew what happened. He said an unknown object uh, intersected TWA flight 800 and disappeared from the screen. And that's what set the uh, wheels turning in Washington. That why it was that night is, uh, you know, why all the terror alerts throughout Washington. We know that Hillary wasn't there at the White House from her own logs. I know from my own sources that she, Bill, and Sandy Berger were holed up in the family quarters. They didn't come down to the situation. No, again, again. I mean, that's why, you know, again, as Linda said, it's a dry run for Benghazi. I have to go. I'm up against the clock. But Jack Cascio, author of TWA 800, The Crash, The Cover-Up, and The Conspiracy, thank you for not letting go. Thank you for staying with us. Thanks, Jack, so much. Take care. Okay, when I do the show, guys, I think I would rather do it from that room where you are. How about if I just come and somebody else does the show and I get to hang with you? I'm like, gee, I miss being over there. It was kind of fun. I run over every break and... I love you guys. I really do. Thanks to Sean Hannity for allowing me to sit in for him today. My name is Rose Tennant. I am the host of the show Rose Unplugged. You can connect with me on social media on Twitter at Rose underscore Unplugged. Also on Facebook, Rose Unplugged. And the website is, guess what? That's it. RoseUnplugged.com. So anyway, today we asked um, someone to come on the program because this is really important, this topic. And it, and it does relate greatly to the campaign that we see being run by Hillary Clinton and contrasting that campaign with Donald Trump. This is an important industry in our country and it's an important source of, of uh, money in this country. And so I want to introduce our next guest and that is Kathleen White. She is a senior fellow in residence and director of the Armstrong Center for Energy and the Environment at the Texas Public Policy Institute. And she's the author of the new book, Fueling Freedom, Exposing the Mad War on Energy. And, uh, you know, co-written by uh, Stephen Moore. Welcome to the show, Kathleen White. How are you? My pleasure to be on your show. Hey, listen, um, Stephen White is a regular guest on my program, Rose Unplugged. Steve Moore, and I, I love him. Love him. Nice guy. Well, his, it was his idea that we write a book together on the basis of a paper I wrote a couple of years ago, and we're so pleased it's completed and out there and really hope it will raise awareness of um, an issue and issues that I think are far more important than the attention they get in the mainstream media. I agree with you. You know, you bring up in the book North Dakota and Wyoming, and they are two states that are currently producing oil 
that could serve the East Coast and eventually eliminate the need to import fuel from the Middle East. And interestingly enough, about a a month ago, I remember reading a story about those two states. And what fascinated me um, about the story was the amount of money that is generated just in those two states alone, bringing money into the state in in terms of taxes and uh, royalties and, and so forth. And I don't think people understand that, just what kind of economic impact the industry has, and particularly in the two states that you actually focus on in your book. Can you explain, I, explain I, some I'd of that? Go ahead. To, and I might humbly add Texas to the mix. Uh, um, yeah, of because course, we, yes. we were the, the sort of the origin and the, the, the leader of the what I call the shale revolution. Right. I think misunderstood, it is a colossal colossal historical breakthrough in access to fossil fuels it has given us it's it's a yes we know prices have plunged and uh, many rigs have lost the lost the um left the field um but the achievement is still alive and well and ready to respond to, to market signals we came after um decades and decades of dependence that was getting in in some years up to 70 percent um dependent on ex- imports of oil. Um, we got, in 2013, we became the largest producer in the world ahead of of Saudi Arabia and Russia. And a couple things about it that I don't think people understand. This was this is a victory for free enterprise. This was not a victory of the major global oil companies, and I have nothing against them. But this was a victory of thousands of small and medium-sized um, energy companies that um, operating on private or state land, the feds um, are w- locked up and shackled uh, by regulation in the only country in the world that allows um, private property rights in oil and gas interests. In a, in a few short words, years uh, of innovative refinements of technology that had been around for a long time just changed the global landscape on energy. And in fact, the the plunge in prices is in half of that um, situation is a reflection of the victory, the amount of production that went on. And while many rigs have left the field, um, there are uh, very productive, what's happened very quickly because of the fall in price is incredible efficiencies that reduce the cost of production and more refinements of drilling techniques. So it increased production, cut the cost. So we are not, we're wounded, and I say we as a country, um, as far as um, our energy markets at the moment, but we, we are prepared, the technology, um, the amount of oil, wells drilled but not yet fully um, completed, that's when you get the oil and gas. We, um, we have opportunities, a prodigious value ahead of us that really affects if you look, and Steve is the great economist, but the book goes into this, it's amazing the way the dynamic that abundant, um, affordable, versatile energy plays in an economy. We're so used to having it around, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But it is really, uh, when it, it's, it's easily available and at a good price, um, it is a major driver of the economy and all kinds of jobs. And particularly in those states, you know, in particular, when we think about Wyoming and the others, you know, the, the let's, let's talk about coal mining is a very big part of the tax money that supports the entire nation, and frankly, not just the state of Wyoming. And, uh, you know, so they, they enjoy superior educations that their children are receiving. Um, in addition to that, we see the, the sales and the use tax that, that's generated by this 
this the industry uh royalties and rents i mean there there is there's a whole economic machine going on here that people don't really realize and how important it is to to offer some of these things to our to the state and offer um additional income and economic impact into the entire nation, quite frankly. And I think people forget that. You know, they yeah. think Wyoming's out there doing their thing. We've got West Virginia doing theirs. But in fact, they are contributing to the economy of the entire nation. You're absolutely right. And I also add very much to um, national security. I mean, we at this point in time, we don't need to import. We still import a substantial amount, but we don't need to uh, import a single barrel of oil to meet to meet our needs. And that, that really changes global, global politics that have been evolving over the last 40 years. It's unclear how, how it will all evolve, but um, we are in a far better position. We could take advantage of it, too. And when people talk about um, the, you know, we have a very poorly um, supported Department of Defense now at, at record um, levels, um, of, you know, deficiencies in this or that program just because of, of, of the financial thing. The, um, when you have the, um, in a flir- country with flourishing um, energy production and manufacturing that's, that's intertwined with that energy production, you, you know, you have royalties, as you just mentioned, of a, of a volume where you can start to fund sufficiently. And that's um, why I think it's so important that, uh, the, that the book, the title of your book, Fueling Freedom, by the way, I want to remind the listeners, Stephen Moore and Kathleen White, Fueling Freedom, because when we allow this industry to, to grow and become everything that it can be, we are, in fact, making our our can we are really committed to freedom for this country and for our country, independence we want independence where uh, energy is concerned and i just want to thank you so much for doing this book and for being on the program with us today i appreciate that my pleasure thank you very much thank for you, having me Kathleen white and the book is fueling freedom i've been promising you that i'll take some of your calls and i think now would be a really good time to do that uh the uh, let's start with some of the people that have been waiting the longest we'll go to uh steve who's in connecticut good, good afternoon steve thanks for being so patient hey good afternoon to you thanks for having me uh i wanted my point was about uh the intent with hillary clinton it seems like james comey focused on the intent to commit espionage and not the intent to commit a crime. There was an email that I believe Judicial Watch uncovered. Uh, it was Freedom of Information. It's heavily redacted, even the subject line now, that clearly Hillary Clinton directed Jacob uh, Sullivan to remove classification markings and send it unclassified because their secure uh fax machine was down and she needed her her talking point. Right. You know, I wanted to bring something up similar to that to Jim Jordan today, and I didn't get a chance. Thanks, thanks, Steve, for your phone call. Because it just, again, it goes to what we believe that we've heard in the past, stories that we've heard um, Judicial Watch. By the way, you've got to give them, you know, a, a round of applause because, you know, they are the ones that have been really diligent in, in bringing this information forward and going after the information. But um, yeah, there have been cases. I mean, that's that's why when when um, I loved it when Trey Gowdy was just just going down the list. Did she do this? Did she say she did this? Well, yeah. I mean, there was a whole list of lies, clear, blatant lies coming from Hillary Clinton. And I'm glad that he has suggested to us on the show today that, you know, that's something that needs to be looked into and most certainly should be looked into. You know, and we've been talking all day. You know, I don't we even had a chance to talk about this, but. Donald Trump met with Ted Cruz and Reince Priebus today, 
And that's what a source told CNN. And the meeting was, I guess it was right after he met with the others. I mean, there was a full house there. He met with at least 200 in Washington, D.C. today. And there they talked a lot about his platform. He talked about how they have a lot in common. He talked about uh, unity with the party. And I thought, you know, this morning when I was doing my show, I talked about Ted Cruz. What do we know about Cruz? We know he's a good man. He's a constitutionalist. And above all, I believe that he's a man who loves the rule of law. And I feel that it's time that Senator Cruz gets behind Mr. Trump enthusiastically and convincingly. He's got to do it. You know, I think about that night that all of the candidates were asked to make a pledge to oath, make an oath to support whomever the nominee would be. And many of those men followed through on that pledge, but there are many who did not. And I really feel it's time for Senator Cruz to make good on that oath and support the nominee. Thank you. He's got to show that he's the man that many people believe him to be, a man that is true to his word. And the time is right now. We can't wait any longer for this. His supporters need to be released, and they will not be until they hear from him. Senator Cruz must release his supporters. This can't go on any longer. When we see what the Clintons are capable of getting away with, and then we talked about TWA 800, that goes back 20 years. Nothing has changed. The things I talked about 20 years ago on my radio program where the Clintons were concerned, I am still talking about today. We are fully aware now, if not ever before, what they are capable of getting away with. And it frightens us. It disgusts us. And it frustrates us. So what he, difference at this point does it make? Right? So he needs to do this for our country. And I, I believe he loves this country. I really do. Ted Cruz, I know that you love this country. But you've got to do this. You've got to release your supporters. You've got to get behind the nominee. You pledged to do it. You promised that you would do it. And I believe that you are a man of your word. So show us that you are that man of your word. I am, I I just, for the rest of those in D.C., I'm also tired of you. I'm tired of waiting for you to endorse him. Anytime I run into a congressman, um, when I have opportunity, I ask them, why haven't you enthusiastically gotten behind Donald Trump? Well, we don't like, one guy said this to me. Well, I don't, I don't really like what he says. We were uncomfortable. Really? Well, how comfortable were you with many of the things that Mitt Romney said with McCain? I, I've got a list. I kept it. The thing that I was most uncomfortable with, where Romney was concerned, was when he called Obama a nice guy. He's supposed to be debating this man, and he calls him a nice guy. What the hell kind of debate is that? There are things that every candidate says that you can be uncomfortable about. Get over it and get behind him. We are so tired of waiting for you. And I am begging Senator Cruz to do the right thing, to to stand up to that oath that you made on that stage, to be that man that loves the rule of law that we believe you to be. We need you to do. We have to. We've got to have you do this. Now, we heard that you met with Donald Trump today, and I hope that that is precisely what comes out of that meeting that you had with him today. I am outraged that so many have waited so long to do this. It shows a level of immaturity and sour grapes. It does not sit well with the rest of us. It really doesn't. It is time to man up, grow some, and do the right thing. All of you out there that haven't done it. 
We're tired of it. Don't you know that this is, you've brought us to this place because you haven't grown any, because you won't man up. We are tired of the same old, same old. Someone please, please be the adult here in the room and do the right thing. There are too many out there of you who have not yet done the right thing. He is our nominee. Get behind him. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. My name is Rose Tennant. I host my own program, Rose Unplugged, out of Pittsburgh. And you can connect with me on social media at Rose underscore Unplugged on Twitter. Facebook is Rose Unplugged. And the website is RoseUnplugged.com. Also, you can call into the program because, as I said, the rest of the hour will be yours after I'm done talking to my next guest. Our phone number here is 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326. I think it's very timely that we decided to have our next guest on today because um, he's been talking about the Clintons for a very, very long time. Uh, and he knows, and none of this, none of what we've seen this week surprises him. He's the author of Unlikable, The Problem with Hillary, and he has a new book out, Guess what the title is? Well, you couldn't guess. I'll tell you. Guilty as sin, but it's so appropriate. I wonder who it's written about. Guilty as sin. Guilty. Oh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's right. And you can pre-order right now on Amazon.com. And the book will be out on August 22nd. So welcome to the show, Ed Klein. Hi, Ed. How are you? Uh, Rose, it's so good to be back with you. And I hope you're having fun hosting the Hannity Show. I am. I love the people here, Ed. They're so great. They are a great bunch. Aren't they? Yeah, we love them. So, Ed, can you believe it? I mean, you know, a long time ago, someone from Little Rock, Arkansas said to me, this was almost 20 years ago, you know, Rose, the Clintons are never going away. And they haven't. And they and it's never been clear just how much they can get away with. Ed, you must have been. How did you feel when you were listening to Comey on Tuesday and then consequently what Hillary had to say about all of it coming out, slamming Trump the next day Mm. without any shame at all? True. Well, I think I was as surprised as everybody because James Comey, as everybody has now said again and again, has this great reputation of being honest, straightforward, straight shooter, Elliot Ness, untouchable, and all that. All my sources, literally all my sources, were of the opinion that he was not going to be cowed by the White House, by the Clintons, by the Justice Department, by anybody, and he was going to do the right thing. Right. And he didn't, in my view. He did not do the right thing. Uh, it's clear as a bell that she's guilty as hell, and yet he didn't charge her. And I can only assume, and I don't know this for a fact, that it was a political decision on his part not to convulse the whole politics of the United States and be known as the guy who upset the apple cart, the political apple cart, historically, maybe changed who was going to be president. And he, pull, and he pulled in, and I'm very disappointed in him. I don't think he's got a leg to stand on, to tell you the truth. No, I don't, and we are disappointed. We share that disappointment with you, certainly. And one of the things I think about, you know, when we think about Hillary Clinton and the Clintons, the both of them, really, is how much they're always, they're able to get away with, Ed, and you know them. Listen, I wanna, one of the things that was said today by Comey was that, that, that perhaps she wasn't sophisticated enough to understand. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, do you, you've known them, you know what they're all about. Is that even a possibility that she's not, not sophisticated? Not even a scintilla of possibility. Possibility that she didn't know what she was doing. 
She did the same thing in a different way when she was in the White House as First Lady. She tried, you know, she set up a whole um, separate phone system for her and Bill so that it wouldn't go through the switchboard. Oh, that's right. You know, she, she knew what she was doing then. She tried to get the White House press corps thrown out of the West Wing so that she didn't, they wouldn't watch and see what she was doing. She's been, this is a secretive woman who has been hiding from scrutiny all her life. And she's got a lot of reasons to hide from scrutiny because she's not an honest human being. No, but you know what, though? People are saying now, you're hearing it everywhere, that she will be tried, even though she wasn't, there were no, there was no recommendation for indictment and the case is mm. essentially closed. She'll be tried in the court of public opinion. Uh, I've got a, um, actually, I've got a blog out today on okay. edwardkline.com. Okay. And the title is Hillary will be tried in the court of public opinion. I totally agree with you. And I think she is being already tried in the court of public opinion and not, and According to the latest Rasmussen poll, about 85% of the American public thinks that she got away with murder on this on this email thing. Yeah, that's true. We do have the newest numbers, and I'll give those out. That's exactly right. They, they, they believe she's guilty. Guilty as sin, Ed. Yes. yes, and she is. And, and there's no question about it. And the fact that, you know, he's using some very technical legalese to get around it, I think it's shameful because there was intent. I mean, I don't have to go through all this with you, Rose. You know it, and your listeners know it. Of course there was intent to begin with that, to hide behind a private server. Of course he did that. And there was gross negligence. And all these things that he said didn't exist did exist. And she did lie to the Benghazi committee. Yes, she did. What else do we need to finally bring her down? I mean, this, as you say, they've been getting away with this. You know what? You know, thing that, that I remember from a book I wrote a long time ago about the Clintons in Arkansas, that Bill Clinton was involved in allowing tainted blood from Arkansas prisoners to be sold on the open market. This is the kind of people we're talking about. That's, what, 35, 40 years ago. You know, and that's interesting. It's always about this other lives. Other, we were talking to Jack Cashel earlier about TWA 800, two, over 200 lives there that were lost. We talk about Benghazi, the four lives there that were lost. People die around yes. these people. They really, really do. That's right. They do. They die and, and the country suffers. And now we're talking about a, 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 a presumptive nominee of the major party. Who is, who is shown to be not only a liar, that's bad enough, but who is willing to put her own personal needs ahead of our national security and safety during a period in which we're fighting terrorism. I mean, it's just breathtaking when you stop to think about it. It really is. Now, Ed, you've been covering the Clintons for a very long time, writing about them. You've got impeccable sources, reliable sources. What is this woman? Is she... She knows she's lying, right? I mean, she's not she's not lied to herself, has she? And, and convinced herself that uh, that all of these things are are, are are really out of her control, and that she, that she isn't sophisticated enough. I mean, does she? I can't believe that someone. I honestly, I, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. Mm. Someone who is so willing and so quick to lie to lie. I mean, she is a liar, really. She is. There's just no. There's no two ways about this. Well, the true. woman doesn't and, know how to and, tell the truth. And this has been happening, you know, this has been going on 
all her life. It's not something new. And it is my belief, based on my reporting with people who have been around her a lot, both friends and, um, you know, official campaign people, that, in fact, she is not aware of her, that she's being, that she's a liar. Now, this is not to say that she was unaware of what she was doing with the emails. Of course, she knew what she was doing with the emails. But since then, she's been lying about them and, and knowingly lying about them. Uh, and I think she's somewhat delusional at times. You know, and, and I've got a good question for you. You Look, we've talked about this before, you and I. The Clintons and the Obamas, uh, there's no love lost there. I mean, they, they really don't care much for each other. Not at all. Do you think that there's anything to the claims that the emails that were left uh, that, had, that have been discovered during the investigation may also incriminate Obama on some level and that maybe the reason he didn't follow through with an indictment or mm. or pushed, you know, you know, to go mm, this way yeah, is because, yeah. mm. you know, Obama might have pardoned her. I mean, well, I know exactly what you're saying, and what other people are saying, and, and I think there's some truth to this. And I'll tell you why I believe this in a book that I wrote called Blood Feud, the Clintons versus the Obamas, which came out a couple of years ago. Right. <clears throat> I talk about a meeting that took place early, early, early in her tenure as Secretary of State in 2009, when she first became Secretary of State. It became immediately apparent to Valerie Jarrett and Barack Obama that she, Hillary, was sending them emails on a, not a government server. They call, I wrote about this. They called her into the Oval Office, told her she couldn't do that, demanded that she stop, and by the way, at the same time, demanded that Bill Clinton stopped taking um, contributions to the Clinton Foundation from foreign governments that were dealing with the United States, and she ignored it. So the, the President of the United States, from 2009 on, was aware of what she was doing. So therefore, he, in a sense, was part of this illegal activity. And I think you're right. I think taking on Hillary would have meant simultaneously taking on the entire administration, including the president of the United States. Well, I got one more question for you. I have to ask this. You know, just hours after James Comey held his press conference on Tuesday, um, Obama and Hillary began campaigning Mm, together. At one point, you saw her at his podium with the presidential seal on the front of the podium. I I just, that didn't sit well with a lot of people. I mean, this had been planned. We know that it had been planned, that he was going to travel with her on Air Force One. It didn't just happen that day. This this itinerary was in the works. So that that visual just doesn't sit right with many of us. It's as though, even though he didn't probably know, but it was as though he knew what Comey was going to say. You don't make plans to put the nominee, your your party's nominee, on your private plane, uh, on, on, on the plane, and, and have her stand at a podium with a presidential seal. Well, you know what? I agree with you. And, and what I'm thinking of is one of the wonderful things about America and Americans is that we even today, even though we've become kind of cynical. But we still believe that there's something called fair play. And it's not fair play for a candidate of one party who's running for president to be standing in a podium with the seal of the president on that podium when he, when that person is running against somebody right. else in another party. It's just simply not fair. It's wrong. And Obama was con- part of it. He was complicit in letting her do that.
Yeah. See, now, I, that just bothered me so much. And I know a lot of people had a very difficult time. And uh, listen, I want to remind everyone, because I do have to go to break right now, that we are talking to Ed Klein. He is the author of the new book, Guilty as Sin. And you are taking orders on it, even though it doesn't. it's not released for another month yet. That's correct. Right. That's correct, Rose. And they can go, anyone can go to Amazon, I suppose, or any bookstore, right? Yes. And order that book, Guilty as Sin by Ed Klein. He knows what he speaks of. He certainly does. And Ed, we, I so appreciate having you on the program Love today. To be with you as always, Rose. Thanks so much. All right, hon. Take care now. Yes, it, yes, he is. Well, no, not him. It's me. It's Rose. I'm sitting in for Sean Hannity today, and I'm happy to do so. Having a lot of fun with everybody. Not sure where I want to be more doing the show in the other room. I don't know. I'm splitting my time up between the two places, and I'm loving it. It's great to do the show from New York, and I'm so glad that you all invited me here to do it today. Uh, my show is called Rose Unplugged. You can connect with me on social media. Twitter is at Rose underscore Unplugged. Facebook is Rose Unplugged. And the website is roseunplugged.com. If you want to get a hold of me today, and we can talk. 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326. We were just talking to Patrick. And at least Patrick, and I have to say I appreciate, Patrick, that you are voting, though. And and the people that I have a problem with are the ones who are telling me that they're staying home because they just can't bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. And that I have a problem with. I really, really do. Um you know, it's it's. I, I want to take this phone call, and I, I I want to because Don has been waiting a long time, and I love his story. So let's let's share that. Don calling from North Carolina. How are you today? Good, good. What do you want me to say? Well, you said you're just you're now becoming a U.S. citizen, and one of the reasons you're most anxious to do that is because you want to vote for Donald Trump. Absolutely. I'll tell you, I've moved here when I was six years old, and I'm going to be sixty-three. I've been a permanent resident. For that entire time, this country has been great to me. And I get so angry when I hear people say that they're not going to vote because he said this or he said that. We have to understand that the mainstream media is lying just like Hillary. You, If you investigate what's really going on, you find out where this man's heart is. He, I mean, to stand up and take the abuse he's getting and be willing to become the next president of this country, I think is just amazing. And I personally am going the extra effort. I'm going to become a citizen. It's going to be next Wednesday, actually. Oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. And I also, I'm not silent. I tell people how I feel. A lot of people are afraid to say they they want Trump just because of what somebody might think. Well, this is too important to sit back. This is this is something we have to stand up. We have to tell everybody we see. It's amazing how many people, when you sit down and talk to them and have a conversation and tell them, watch CNN, watch Fox News, watch MSNBC, do your research, find out the truth. They come back and they say, oh, my God, you're right. We need to get behind this guy. Yeah, and, and when I hear the guy, you know, about uh, I'm going to hold my nose, well, you can hold your nose and vote, either that or you don't, and you drowned in crap. Well, there you go. That, perfect. Well said, Dawn. Thank you, and congratulations, too. I appreciate your phone call. I really do. You know, and, you know, he makes a good point. Here's the thing. He brought up the media. The media goes out of their way not to cover the Clintons. You know, when the Benghazi report came out, when the Republicans released it, no one really talked about it. And then it was shadowed, of course, by bigger news. But listen. 
there was so much information in that report, damning information. And again, even with the emails, I was watching some of the reporters talk to Jim Jordan, in fact, before he came on our program here today. And they were challenging him as though he had done something wrong. If the media were doing its job and they were simply reporting the news, just reporting it, especially where the Clintons are involved, if they simply reported the news, the numbers for Trump would be even greater. They would be even greater because people would be hearing some people for the first time exactly what the Clintons have been getting away with. And when people tell me that they're thinking about staying home or they really have a difficult time voting for Donald Trump, I ask them a few questions. And these are the questions I I, I encourage others to ask. I ask them, first of all, to take a look at what happened here in Orlando, the worst mass shooting that we've ever seen on our soil. It was horrible. And I feel that one of the greatest arguments we have right now is, is something so tangible by taking a look at what happened in Orlando. You can say to people, let's look at how the two candidates reacted to what happened in Orlando. Hillary Clinton could not name the enemy. She would not give the enemy a name. Donald Trump had no problem identifying the enemy. Hillary Clinton was more concerned about regulating your Second Amendment right and how they might go about doing that. In fact, the Democrats sat on their you-know-whats on the floor. I was so embarrassed by that. What a scene, seeing them sitting around like that. It was embarrassing. But that's the first thing they do is, is they want to talk about, the first thing they want to talk about is how they can regulate the Second Amendment, your right to bear arms. Donald Trump understands that that is important to all of us, that Second Amendment right. And then, and oftentimes, that is what protects our us and others from harm. Just look at that. That alone, what happened in Orlando, the way the two candidates approached that issue, that problem we had, that horrible travesty. If you can't identify the enemy, how can you lead us? And instead of running back to your people and talking about how we can regulate guns, instead of strategizing immediately afterwards with the rest of your team in terms of how we can prevent something like this from happening again, what do we do here to protect our people? There was no strategy meeting on that. There was nothing about that. Now when we see what Hillary was capable of and what she's gotten away with, especially after James Comey went through a list, details, he laid out details of what they found. They were so damning. It was like they had her and then they let her go. I don't think we ever really believed she was going to be indicted, but I... I don't know. I I just can't imagine someone like this going on to win and take on the White House. She's not sophisticated enough to understand that a C stands for confidential, or she's not sophisticated enough to understand that there are risks that she puts the nation and the nation's people at when she does something like that. Should she be leading us? Can she lead us? Chris is calling from Utah. Chris, 
You wanted to talk about um, Senator Cruz? Yeah, hi, Rose. Um, hi. I just wanted to say that um, I think Senator Cruz has some negotiating power here. Um, and I think, I hope at least, that's what he's trying to do uh, in this meeting, um, is to get Donald Trump to move more and, and try to appeal to us conservatives. I am a Cruz supporter, just like your earlier caller. I will vote for Trump. I will hold my nose. But I think what a lot of us are out here waiting for is for Donald Trump to maybe not so much try to appeal to the Bernie Sanders guys and kind of come back to us conservatives. And I think if, if Ted Cruz can get some conservative platform items and get Donald Trump to, you know, address things that are concerning to us conservatives, I, I hope that's what he's trying to do in this meeting today. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused as to what that would be. I understand when he was meeting with them today, he talked about he talked about national security. He talked about the economy. He talked about many things that we all agree on as conservatives. What else would you add to that list? Well, I, I hate to say it, but maybe the, some of the social issues, but also less of the the thing that bothers me a lot about Trump is he keeps harping on these trade and tariff kind of deals. And that's not conservative. Free trade is conservative. And I think we, we at least I want to see him not be so concerned with what other countries are doing, but re- rather restructuring the tax system in this country and, and, you know, making it easier for businesses, making it easier for the energy companies, like, as you were talking about earlier, to do their thing and create jobs and create prosperity. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, a couple of things here. I understand what you're saying. Uh, I don't agree with you on the free trade issue, but I will say this. What you are asking for, I, I do believe he understands, especially where the energy crisis is concerned. I believe that he certainly has a good head for that. I also believe that he has surrounded himself with people who understand these issues as well. And I think that he does take good counsel. And I, I believe that with all my heart. Secondly, it doesn't matter what you at this point. What difference does it make? I'm going to use that famous line. What difference does it make? He is your nominee. She is the Democrats nominee. She doesn't agree with anything you said and will never agree with anything you said. He is our best chance going forward. We've got to get behind him. He's not the perfect candidate. But, you know, as I said earlier today in the program, a a lot of us don't see him necessarily as a Democrat or Republican or a liberal or conservative. We don't see he's not an ideologue. He is simply a man who believes that he's we are in trouble here. We're in a lot of trouble in a lot of ways. And I believe that he believes that he can fix it. He can fix what he thinks is wrong with this country right now. And and you know what? I think he might be able to. I I really do. Here's what I do believe about Mr. Trump. I believe that he loves this country. I believe that he does believe the country is great and can be great again, even greater again. You know, I was at the um, press conference that he held at Trump Soho. Oh, gosh, it was about two weeks ago. And he talked about how America is great. It's one of the, it's the greatest country in the world. And there were two foreign journalists sitting behind me and they were laughing at that. They were laughing at that. And I thought, you know what? Go ahead and laugh because 
I do think that we are the greatest country in the world. I think we have been the greatest country in the world. And I don't have a problem with someone who wants to be president of that greatest country in the world and believes that we're the greatest country in the world. I don't have a problem with that at all, especially coming off of seven and a half years with a man who's ashamed of this country, who went on an apology tour right after he was elected. I don't have a problem with that. I just, I think that we need to come together. And I think, Chris, I understand some of what you're saying, but he is our nominee. And, and, and quite frankly, he broke all records getting there. He really did. So there are a lot of people who are okay with him and believe that he truly loves the country and he wants to do what he believes is right for the country. So we just, what I'm saying is, Chris, we need to get behind him. We need to get behind him. And I don't want to hear any more from those in Washington, D.C. who haven't gotten behind him, who are reluctant to do so. They need to get with it. He is our candidate. That's it. He is our candidate. And he's not against free trade. He's against bad trade. He's against bad trade deals that really aren't free trade. And that's something I think that you need to really think about. So there. No, okay. Thank you, Chris, for your phone call. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.